0: addressed immediately or at least be pointed in the right direction and I I think it's fascinating, so the industrial revolution mindset, this packaging products didn't help the training world, the learning world even throughout all that time uh, we received research from adult learning anthology theorists that would say no, people don't all learn the same so if you give them a packaged product
1: Today, we've got Treon Muller back on the show. Treon, thanks for doing this.
0: Great to be here, Jess.
1: So you've done a lot since you were on the show last. For people who, who didn't catch that episode, can you give people a little bit of uh, your career background? And then I wanna talk about the modern learning, learning architect.
0: <laughs> sure, uh, so I've been in the learning and development space, behavior change space for almost two decades now. And when I was last on the show, that was a few years ago, (laughs) and it was about the time when I joined a private equity company that owned five training companies. And the goal was for us to digitally transform these companies like private equity likes to do so that they could sell them, right, for profit. Now, the good news is we did that in about a three-year span Um, from the time I joined them to the time we sold those five training companies successfully, but we did it through full digital transformation, adding subscription models. And it was right before COVID hit. So that was a good thing.
1: And and how long had you been at Franklin Covey beforehand? So
0: before that I was at Franklin Covey for eleven years. I was you know Franklin Covey's known for their seven habits of highly effective people, for productivity, for leadership training and, and development. And uh, at and I helped launch their all-access pass, which was their first subscription model that they use. Also, their webinar, LiveKicks webinar workshops, which I found out later was uh, 92% of their revenue during COVID. So that was nice to be part of a solution that helped keep them doing well during that time.
1: Yeah. You know what just occurred to me out of the, I don't know, hundreds of conversations we've had in life? I don't think I've ever asked you, what the name of the town was you grew up in South Africa? What's the name of the town? Yeah, or like what – was it oh. outside of Johannesburg or where did you grow up?
0: Yeah, so I was born in uh, Cape Town. Oh, Cape Town. But I lived most of my life in the southern suburbs of Johannesburg. Okay. So those people that are familiar with Johannesburg, like the concrete jungle itself, right? It's, it's a huge – it's a – Interesting place right now, for lack of a better descriptor. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous, but I was in the southern suburbs, which is really a poor part of town for uh, the white folks. And, and you know what? Nowadays, do going to be very clear. <laughs> Compared to my black brothers and sisters, it, it was, even though we were poor, it was still much better than what they had. So,
1: yeah. You know, you, you've, you've written all these books, came over, you got your master's degree, reached the top of your industry, you get You get asked to speak at these big conferences and you've got all this published work. I'm interested in any ways that you feel like your background prepared you for this or gave you an edge or, or helped you out in your career.
0: You know, it's actually a good question. I don't get asked that a lot of, I get asked about growing up in South Africa, but the the background, I tell people being A white, poor person during the apartheid period in South Africa was good because it allowed me to see my black brothers and sisters for who they really were, not for necessarily what the propaganda that we had been taught in schools growing up. So that was a a major benefit. And and I appreciate that. I got to make friends with and, and get to know people of color where some of The kids I went to school with uh, never had that opportunity, so it was huge. I was there during Nelson Mandela's run for president where he he won. I stood in line for three hours to vote in that first general election in 1992. It it was just a a great time to be alive in South Africa at that time. He also won the World Cup rugby, as if you've seen the movie Invictus, (laughs) and uh, that was a great thing. The whole country came together black and white. It was fantastic. That 94, I think. Yeah. So yes, it prepared me. It gave me a perspective on the value of individuals uh, and how we all operate differently, but yet we have so many similarities too. A lot of learning from those years.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested how that applies, applies now because so often training is not personalized. You know, the idea of helping people whether it's, you know, going all the way to mastery or even just getting basic level skills, you know, we're trying to get the efficiency of training a lot of people at once or having an an app or a technology that can help a lot of people, uh, which, you know, has a major natural byproduct of treating people like a number or treating people like they all are the same. But yet we do have similarities. I mean, I'm interested in that tension and and how you've addressed it in your career. (laughs)
0: Well, so here's the thing. If you look back at history, the Industrial Revolution did a lot of – and one of the things it did that wasn't necessarily great was the concept of packaging things up into products that you can sell to the masses. So when you look back at the training development, that same mindset of, okay, we can package up shampoo and send that to individuals, and it doesn't matter what type of color hair you have. You know, if you have no hair or if you have hair like jazz, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. We send you the shampoo, right? But when it comes to training and development, when you package things the same way, and and I, I've noticed this. I've worked in this environment where people would be on calls with clients, and I'd hear them express the concern, right? Here's the pain we have. And here's the skill sets we need to address. And the salesperson, what they would do is they would say, here's the shampoo, or here's the one course, and in that course somewhere, we deal with that pain point. You just need to find it, but you have to sit through one, two, or three days of training to do it. Obviously, the digital revolution we are part of now has changed that human conditioning. We expect to have our pain points addressed immediately, or at least be pointed in the right direction, and I, I think it's fascinating. So, the industrial revolution mindset, this packaging products didn't help the training world, the learning world. Even throughout all that time, we received research from, you know, adult learning anthology, you know, theorists that would say, no, people don't all learn the same. So if you give them a packaged product, you know, learning product, it's not going to help them necessarily. It's just It's a stereotypical answer to everyone's problems. So there's a a tension here, right? You want to have a center line. There's certain principles and universal teachings you want to share. But there's something that I've been working on lately, Jess, that I'm calling it your choose your own adventure or surround sound solution, which in my opinion, addresses where, where you're going with this.
1: Well, I loved the choose your adventure books when I was a kid. So let's talk about that.
0: Well, that's exactly where it comes from. I also used to read those books where you would decide, oh, this person, I, I'm going to go this branch, right? And in learning, we use this a lot branching activities for simulations especially. But even that can be packaged and very strong and, and lacking purpose. So if you think about it now, Jess, you have a question. Where do you go to seek answers? Where's the all-knowing uh guru that you turn to for all your answers
1: audible.com
0: <laughs> okay, you got audible <laughs> okay most people go to google <laughs> so thank you for, for that but no that's
1: true of you course have, you google so it
0: you have to
1: you google it you google everything you, google, it. you google,
0: everything. google everything and you expect what you get to be accurate which is becoming more and more accurate right you have to triangulate and make sure that where you're getting your answers are is a credible source etc But most of the time we just, that's where we go. So I tell these training and development companies that I consult with that the the greatest challenge isn't other training and development companies or solution providers, it's free. It's the YouTubes of the world, right? It's Google, it's the little players that are offering it for nothing or for very cheap. Now, the quality of those solutions aren't necessarily up to par with some of these traditional companies. But we all seek answers to our questions, and we can do it from our phones at times. So we have to change our mindsets. This digital conditioning, we've been reconditioned because of – only in the last 10 to 12 years, by the way. People say the digital revolution has been around longer than that. Of course it has, right? Computers have been around longer than that. However, having a computer in your pocket or purse has truly only been around for the last 10 to 11 years since um, iPhone came on the market and said, okay – we are now harnessing the magic and power of the internet and we're putting it in your pocket. So we, everything we learned about, everything we know about how we learn and how we consume information is anecdotal and completely changing right now as we speak.
1: Well, I want to talk about this. So I didn't tell you I did this, but I went on your website, modernlearningarchitect.com and I downloaded your ebook, Power Small Things. And can you talk about this idea of of our brains essentially being wired for, for, to learn small steps.
0: Well, yeah. thank you for bringing that up. That's what I'm talking about We've known for generations. I mean, if you, for, for centuries, we've known that a human learns in with, by small things and baby steps, right? Just go, go to any person that has become proficient or expert in any sport or I'm trying to think of another word.
1: Music, anything.
0: Music, anything. They don't learn that in a one and done training event. You don't go to a a piano event and after three days of playing the piano, you are now a uh, concert pianist. It does not apply to someone who's an athlete. You don't go to a tennis and then after a week, you now can compete at a pro level. There's so many factors, and it's been a lot of books about this thing, about the 10,000-hour rule and Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, et cetera, that talk about this, and, but from a different angle, right? The angle is to become an expert, you've got to put in the time. But now think about this from a learning and development perspective. When we get into the business space, we sometimes separate business and our personal endeavors, but it's dealing with the same person that's me or the employee that you're trying to train. That same person that's becoming an expert guitarist in their free time and has been doing it for five years, we put them through a one-day training, leadership training, and then expect them to be a better leader. Just think of the dysfunction in that statement. <laughs> so the brain requires us to to develop this this neural pathways. We have to have enough repetitions. Doing certain things in a certain way over time, not all jam-packed into one day or two days or three days or even weeks. It sometimes takes years to develop these new neural pathways and muscle memory for us to become proficient and expert in some things, and yet the training and development world has still pushed out products that says, here, become a sales professional and do it in a day. So it's, it's, again, packaging up IP so that salespeople can sell a package yeah. as opposed to a process, something that you can learn over time.
1: Well, when you think about whether they're clients of yours or not, when you think about folks who have been embracing this, who have been, you know, innovating and coming up with the new versions that are actually working, who stands out to you?
0: There's a lot of good happening, Jess, and I'm not going to mention specifics because (laughs) uh, I don't want to leave anyone out. But COVID was a key list for change. I've seen change. It's been happening slowly. People have been going digital, is what they've been calling it, with their learning development solutions. It's still been very elementary. It's been basically taking the live stage on the stage and putting now that person in front of a webinar. we now, instead of live in person, they are virtual in person spewing their knowledge, right? Which is still not, neither way is very effective, but people moving that way digitally, they've been doing. However, COVID's forced people to go digital. So they've done two things. They've they pushed everything online, which, and people are buying it because that's the only way they could receive development and training. So now some of them are stopping there and saying, oh, good, look for digital. Those are the ones that won't succeed in the long run because it's not effective. It doesn't call, you know result in behavior change. But there's those players and there's a lot of platforms and tools out there that, that are now facilitating this behavior change. The, the players and the tools and the, the vendors that are providing IP that do this, these platforms, instead of just pushing information that you can download and, and regurgitate, they're doing it in spaced learning. They're doing it uh, in a blend. I have a model that I call the car model, Yes, Um, C stands for content consumption. You have to have content. You have to have IP. A is, there's two A's, so it's A squared. So it's cars, there's two A's. A is for application then of that content. The second A is accountability because guess what? If you give someone content and you share information and you tell them that they need to do something and they apply it, This is what traditional training is. They don't do it unless they're held accountable to a group, a cohort, or someone else, a coach, to help them with that. So it's coaching, I mean, content, accountability, I mean, application accountability, and then reinforcement of those principles over time. And then S is for sharing. That's where this comes home. Once you share your fails and your wins with the cohort, with a coach, and you work through that using the principles you learned in C or content, now you have a very, you, you have a process that will impact your neural pathways in your brain, and cement those principles in your life. But it takes time.
1: When you think about how to help our teams practice enough, like. When you think about whether it's an app, a technology, a company program, whatever it is, like getting our jobs done is so pressing that trainings gets pushed off, right? And yet absolutely, we all know like inherently in these other parts of our lives, our hobby, sports as a kid, whatever it was, we knew that it was meaningful repetitions where we weren't just going through the motions is how you got better, right? And yet at work, we're like, oh yeah, we should do training again next quarter, You know, or next, yeah, yeah, sometime in the second half of the year, we should do a training, you know, because corporate America has programmed us because that's what it was at the companies we worked for before we started our own companies or stuff like this, right? So when you think about how to help it be part of a daily, weekly practice, when you think about, and I'm specifically thinking about your lower paid, more entry level folks, not, you know, not just reserving it for your top people. Do you have any thoughts about helping it be part of the daily routine for, for the newer people on your team?
0: Boy, that's such a loaded question because this this is a million dollar question, Jess. If if you could only get people to do or practice or apply the training you pay that you put them through, you wouldn't have any problems because the experts are the ones that have written books on it. So now we have training around it. So oh, there's so many things to consider here. The biggest thing I, I like to say when I meet with companies is remember who your end user is or the person is that you want to learn these new skills. Be realistic about who they are. This is a it's a, it's a tech startup mentality where you, you understand the personas of, of the people that need to receive the learning and the behavior change. First of all, understand that they are ready, Billy, like you said. They already have their hands full. The last thing they want to hear from you is that, oh, I want to put you through training. And you still got to keep all, all the numbers and the KPIs that we set up with you and do all that stuff. Oh, by the way, and we expect you to make some changes after you go through the training without any help. So I believe, again, in the significance of small things. Simplify what it is you want people to do. Break it down into bite-sized chunks in something that they can have wins in that they can share those wins about as opposed to trying them to do everything all at once and um, there's a lot of adult learning theories that go through my mind as I talk about this cognitive load theory which basically says as soon as you overload the brain people just shut down and they, they don't compute and don't they are unable to compute and apply what you're just teaching them it's just too much going on one of the main ones andragogy Malcolm Knowles, he, he talks about people have to be intrinsically motivated. They have to understand the why behind them going through some learning experience. This is adults. So when you put through someone to training, one of the basic things you can do is, hey, we are here to develop you and help you move up in your career, right? So there's some intrinsic motivation. That's it, that's extrinsic. Hopefully they will be intrinsically motivated because it'll increase their salary and their well being, et cetera, et cetera. Let's explain the why. We're putting through this training so that so that you can learn this and be able to do this so that you can do your job better. Anyway, there's so much, it's such a loaded question. And it's all in indi- it's different. That's why I work with companies individually, because what people need to do is different with each company because there's gaps in different places. Well, to try and meet but- to provide the right learning experience for the right audience is a tough thing to do, just generally.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the one takeaway for me there, and, you know, we we like to split these episodes in half, so maybe this is what we're in, on, part one. But I think one of my favorite takeaways in there is back to that intrinsic motivation thing. Like, how hard did I work at stuff at school because I was told I was taking this class, you know? And then, And then art, I did like. Or in social studies, they started teaching us about investing, I was doing so much, like they gave us fake money and we traded it in the newspaper. You know, like every time we came to class, we we had the chance to trade based on whatever the paper said the, the stock price was. Worth. I was doing that on the weekends. I was finding time to talk to my teacher after class. I was, do you know what I mean? Like I did excellent at that stuff, but it wasn't because a teacher told me I needed to for a grade. I wasn't maybe a little rebellious. I didn't care too much about grades. I knew I knew I had enough to get into college and I didn't really... I didn't really care about an A beyond that, you know, you think about like, I I think about folks that I know who the, the mission is very clear. Here's how our work is positively impacting lives. And when that training goes like, and here's how you're going to make a bigger impact in the world in a way that they believe it, they want it, they like it. That training is not painful. That training is not ineffective. Um, so I, I think that tied to the intrinsic yes. was was solid gold there. Let's let's talk more about this on part two. Everybody, tune in to part two. We've got a whole bunch more questions for Trian, and go get your own copy of the ebook "The Power of Small Things" on Trian's website, modernlearningarchitect.com. Thanks, everyone.